Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Airbnb spoils the party for London's newest breed of buy-to-let landlords. What will President Trump mean for your investments? And HMRC's new moves to close in on tax evasion in offshore schemes. Who will be caught in the net? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm James Pickford, FT Money Deputy Editor, and I'll be giving you this week's money news in downloadable form. Airbnb last week blew a hole in the business plans of many London-based buy-to-let landlords with its announcement that it would automatically block its hosts in the capital from letting their properties for longer than 90 days. The hosting site had become an increasingly popular way for property investors in the capital to rent out their homes to tourists or business people, usually at a higher rate than they could get from standard long-term tenants. But councils and housing campaigners hated the trend, saying it was taking London housing out of the market for long-term residents at a time of acute shortages. Madhu Merger, the FT's European technology correspondent, has been following the story and is here to talk to us. Madhu, can you take us through what Airbnb is planning to do exactly? Airbnb is buckled to pressure from regulators in two of its big European cities, London and Amsterdam. And as of 1st January 2017, they're going to enforce a limit on the number of nights that anybody can rent out their rooms to Airbnb. So in London, I believe that's going to be 90 nights a year. And in Amsterdam, that's 60. And so there's really no way around this. Well, you can obtain a licence from your local council, but considering the local councils are extremely unhappy with the state of affairs, you're unlikely to be able to get round them. That's interesting. And London, as you've made clear, London isn't the only city to see the impact of this sort of shared economy on the availability of housing. Apart from Amsterdam, what's been happening elsewhere and what what have other cities tried to do about it? Yeah, so this is quite a widespread problem. It started at home for Airbnb in San Francisco where they've been trying to clamp down on the number of nights as well and actually Airbnb has sued the city there and that's ongoing, I believe. They had a similar problem in Anaheim, which is in California, and actually won there. They've also had a major problem. The company won there. Yeah, Yeah, Airbnb. And recently had major issues in New York which is a huge market for them, I think maybe the third largest anywhere. And the governor has actually signed into law a rule on kind of apartment buildings not being allowed to do short-term lets at all. And although that is law now, I think they're kind of still negotiating and nothing's actually been enforced yet. Mm. And here in Europe as well, Barcelona recently fined Airbnb, I think it was €600,000. And they've had problems in Berlin and elsewhere. And, you know, in none of these places has Airbnb been completely banned. 
unlike Uber. Mm. It's contemporary, which has actually been banned. But at the same time, they are going to lose lots of revenues with sort of these enforcing the short term limits. Yeah. So so now in London, we have this situation where you can only do 90 days maximum a year. But presumably, it's just, you're free to do as much as you like in the rest of the country for as long as you like. Um, but are there cities elsewhere in the UK which struggle to cope with, with Airbnb, which have a similar sort of problem as London? I think London is... Airbnb's most popular city in the country and even within London it's very touristy areas I think Westminster and others in central London which I think have three and a half percent of homes rented out so I think that I'm not sure that it will be as big a problem for smaller cities outside the UK because this is really driven by tourists. Mm. And so do we think this is going to sort of bring Airbnb back to its more closer to its original sort of pitch which of staying in someone's home with them you know being part of someone's home and learning about a city through a resident? I think that was an idealistic view on which they were selling people and I don't really think we can ever go backwards to the point where this is like a couch surfing thing. It's way too widespread. I mean, they recently did a partnership with the Olympics in Rio and had, you know, hundreds of thousands of beds there. So this is definitely one way and it's growing. So I don't think it's ever going to go back to basics in that way, but hopefully the limits will mean that it will be safer for residents and for people using the service. Thanks very much there to Madhu Merger. You can read more about Airbnb and Buy to Let in the FT Money cover feature on Saturday as part of the FT Weekend newspaper or online from Friday at ft.com slash money. Still to come on The Money Show, the taxman's new tools in pursuit of the wealthy. But first, David Stevenson, our adventurous investor columnist, is here to talk to us about the impact of the US election result on your investments. Thank you for joining us, David. So Donald Trump is now heading for the White House. This was billed by some as a sort of potentially cataclysmic event for markets, but it hasn't quite turned out like that, has it? Yeah. I mean, I say I wasn't surprised he won. I was a bit surprised at the market reaction. I, I was one of those ones expecting a cataclysmic reaction. I mean, Mark Cuban, who's a very famous right-wing multi-billionaire in the States, pre- eagerly predicted a 20% correction. And in fact, we, we had a correction to stopwards. <laughs> so that didn't work out as planned. I think what the investors have latched on to is the fact that they've latched on to an economic agenda, which clearly everybody knows this, is about getting making America strong again, which is about fiscal uh, explicit expansion, which sort of chimes with where investors were anyway because we've run out the road for QE, really, probably. And mm. there's not a lot we can do at this point in the cycle, certainly in America. And in fact, they're thinking of raising interest rates. So fiscal expansion was always on the cards, even under Clinton. And obviously, he's going to do a bonfire of the regulations, this new thing. He's bring, you know, get rid of two regulations for every one regulation. Although I think we've had that rule in Britain and not done terribly well with it. <laughs> so it's easier said than done. And also Reaganite tax cuts. Now, that is pretty good news for US consumption-based industries. And therefore, I think we've seen the price of the big banks, particularly the, the big major national banks, shoot up because there's going to be a bonfire of all of these Wall Street regulations, which is ironic considering how much he bashed Wall Street. Yeah, so we so, think that, that, that we do believe that uh, that this regulation will come through, oh, or certainly investors will see oh, definitely. some results yes, in the banking sphere. Yes, definitely. And at the moment, you see most of the action in the big main Wall Street banks. They've shot up in price. So the big outfits like the Wells Fargo and JP Morgan have done very well. I think you may see that. I, I actually personally think the more interesting effect would be on the regional banks now, because mm. the big those big banks have got very big inter- global integrated operations. They're not just American banks. Whereas the big national banks and the regional banks, <laughs> the giveaways in the title, they tend to be much more focused on domestic consumption. And if we're going to have a big tax cut giveaway scheme, which is what they're talking about, and I have every reason to believe they'll probably try and do it, that's pretty good news for domestically orientated, consumption orientated US industries. What it's, about the energy sector? You talked a lot about yeah. that during the uh, campaign. 
Yeah, whereas he speaks with forked tongue, whether or not he actually <laughs> believes in climate change or not. It probably doesn't, but he probably won't do away with all of the wind, fire, wind turbines and everything because actually some of his friends are doing rather well out of that as billionaires. But I think what he'll probably do is he'll probably have a bonfire of the regulations around um, unconventional oil and gas and shale. I think that's where we're going to see the most action. And the EPA has been toughening up on rules, uh, which is the Environmental Protection Agency in the States, yes. has been toughening up along with the other regulators on conventional oil and gas. And I think we'll see a lot of those regulations sidelined. And therefore, I think you'll see, particularly in those shale formations like the Permian, which is probably economic at 45 to 50 bucks a barrel, which is slightly below where it is now, I think you'll see that will really give momentum towards the lowest cost shale producers. So I think that's a particular play that one, I think a lot of investors in the States are looking into. It's not completely across the board for oil and gas. I would expect him to probably do a bonfire of the regulations, particularly around Arctic zone and that kind of thing. But that's very high cost production. And in fact, the dynamics of whether or not that does well is based on the oil price and mm. the cost of, of new infrastructure and not the regulations. And I don't see oil trading much above 60 because there's just this marginal ability of the, the shale gas producers and oil producers in America just to turn on stuff at 50, 55. So I think it's likely to be localised. Okay. And I think you should be very focused on the kind of businesses that you pick. And you've written before about emerging markets. Now, what about emerging markets that are closely tied to the dollar, mm. to the US economy? Poor well, Mexico. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> there was an ETF that's traded in America, I think, from my share which trapped the leading Mexican companies. And you will be unsurprised to know what, what happened to its share price over the weeks following the Trump win. It just plummeted and it's sort of not rebounded back. Arguably, actually, I think it's overdone with Mexico because, you know, with all those Mexicans coming back into the country, maybe not for choice, then some of the more domestically orientated industries, because bear in mind the people who've done well out of free trade in Mexico is American companies in Mexico, whereas actually most of the local stock markets, Mexican companies in Mexico trading to the domestic sector, we might actually see a paradoxical rebound in Mexico. I would say before Trump came in, I would have been much stronger pro-EM overall. I think EM stocks particularly are looking reasonably good value. Emerging market stocks. Yes, emerging market, sorry. Um, the emerging market stocks are looking good value. And paradoxically, I think China and some of the greater, or the greater China countries like Taiwan and Hong Kong, which one is part of China and one is part of China, but not really. It was Taiwan. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> we don't want to do what Trump said um, and ring them up. I think that they are reasonably priced at the moment. I would row back from that with Trump because the problem is, is the sheer inherent unpredictability of absolutely anything he has to say about China. Interesting enough, India might be, because I've traditionally always been a bit against India because it's a bit expensive, but after their fantastic experiments in demonetization, <laughs> their stock market has gone down a bit and they might look quite interesting now. Well, that's very interesting. Thank you very much, David. Pleasure. That was David Stevenson, FT Money's adventurous investor. And you can read his column in FT Money this weekend or online now at ft.com slash money. Finally, I'm joined by FT tax correspondent Vanessa Holder. Vanessa, thanks for joining us. You have this week been writing about a new clampdown by the government on offshore schemes. We've heard a lot about these schemes, these types of schemes before. What have they come up with this time? These are new proposals saying that anyone setting up an offshore tax structure that bears the hallmarks of enabling tax evasion will have to notify HMRC. It's thinking of ploys such as moving money outside the reach of reporting rules, obscuring the ownership of an asset. Now, the Treasury said its goal was to really squeeze the supply of tax avoidance and evasion schemes. It says that many people have legitimate reasons to use offshore structures, but can unwittingly get caught up in schemes that land them into trouble. How common or realistic is it that people do unwittingly get caught up in uh, offshore schemes that counters evasion? 
Well, it's fair to say that the examples HMRC gave in its consultation did not look unwitting at all. <laughs> it talked about diverting payments to the offshore bank account of a company in the British Virgin Islands or using nominees in the Cayman Islands to conceal the ownership of a company. But there are lots of offshore structures, often involving trusts and companies, that are in principle legitimate. That's particularly true for non-DOMs, those are people whose permanent home is outside Britain, who are allowed to keep foreign income outside the UK tax net. The legislation is endlessly changing, so you can imagine there are people who are poorly advised, whose schemes do not pass muster. So they've given us some examples, but as you say, this could bring perfectly legitimate schemes under the same scrutiny by this. Well, HMRC said it hasn't yet devised the hallmarks that would be used to target the policy on schemes used to hide money overseas. But it has said it wants to exempt transactions that are unlikely to be used for tax evasion. That would be things like buying companies, buying shares in a company based in another country. It said it wanted to target high-risk arrangements that could be used for tax evasion, saying it recognised in many cases offshore structures were used for legitimate purposes. So anyone listening to this who has an offshore scheme, how should they find out whether it's affected or covered by this? So this is for new schemes, and the onus is on the creator of the scheme to tell HMRC about it, Mm. and the clients and use it, and then the client would be required to put it on their tax return. But while this one's for new schemes, there has been a tsunami of rules and proposals about evasion recently. And so people who have offshore structures should be aware of a couple of developments. One is that the government's recently introduced a new corporate criminal offence for failure to prevent the criminal facilitation of tax evasion. Now, that's left trust companies and other people who look after offshore structures trawling through their client list to identify anybody whose affairs may not be up to scratch. And there's also going to be a new requirement to correct. And uh, this is involves past tax evasion. And we learnt more about this on Monday when the final details were released. These old secrecy rules are going in lots of tax havens around the world. And HMRC expects to get a lot of information by September the 2018 at the latest. And anyone who has an undeclared account who hasn't come forward by that time will be hit with tough new penalties and possibly criminal charges. Thanks very much there to Vanessa Holder. You can read more about this story online now at ft.com. We'd love to hear your views on the government's tax plans, Airbnb buy-to-let and investing in an age of Trump or any other money matters. You can email us money at ft.com, tweet us at at ftmoney or comment on our articles online at ft.com slash money. The Money Show will be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 